Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Long may she reign. Presented to you by Aidan Fitzgerald. Hey guys, welcome back to the Long May Shireen podcast. I'm Aiden. I'm your host for this podcast. So, I hope you guys are all doing very well this week. It is, you know, honestly, it's really great to be back. I don't know if I said that last episode when I was with Lindsay, but it's really great to be back. Loki missed this. Didn't miss having to do all the work to write the episodes, but definitely missed the recording part because that's that's the fun part. The research part is not the fun part. <laughs> anyway, oh, you guys are not going to believe this. So I parked my car in the storm lot at my school, right? Okay. And I went to go move it a couple of days ago, and guess who was really stuck in the gravel parking lot? I was. Um, I was so stuck that, uh, like, all the reversing I was doing to try and escape the ice that was trapping my car in the parking lot created a hole so deep that it made it even harder to escape from said parking lot. And I tried everything I could. I put, like, my car mats, like, under the tires to see if that would help me, like, get any traction and get out. But it never did. I had, like, five separate girls <laughs> see me in the parking lot struggling and try to help me. Anyway, I eventually had to call a tow truck. Uh, that was fun. Luckily, uh, my mom bought me CAA, CAA and that's great because the tow was free. And also, it, mom, if you're listening to this, uh, you, you still don't get credit for buying me CAA. <laughs> um, anyway, I called the tow truck and the guy had to like pull me out sideways because his truck was too big for the parking lot. Um, and then I had to cut like a hard right to be able to escape the evil depths of the parking lot. And I'm really worried for this Monday because we're supposed to have another big snowstorm and I'd like super not like my car to get stuck in the parking lot again because it was so stressful like I basically broke out into a fever that's how dramatic I am anyway you you guys aren't here to listen to that because you don't care what you do care about is who we're talking about today today we are talking about Isabella Montezuma you may have heard of her you may have not you probably do recognize her last name Montezuma as the well technically not the last Aztec emperor because there were a couple emperors who ruled after Montezuma died but he's definitely the most famous Aztec emperor at least I think he is um Isabella was considered his favorite daughter and some even people even say that she was chosen as his heir which is kind of weird because she had brothers but like that's a whole thing we're gonna get into in a couple of minutes and I really wanted to do her because I feel like her story is so underrepresented in the like collapse of the Aztec empire and like the rise of like the Spanish in uh Mexico and South America, just like in general, her story doesn't really ever get told. And I also feel like it's quite timely because I'm watching the new National Treasure TV show. And a lot of that is about like, you know, like women like 
at being like a really big piece of you know history and stuff like that and uh, the fall of like the Aztec Empire is like within that realm so I'm really excited to actually talk about her because she is an endlessly fascinating woman I hope you guys are ready too let's get into it oh I haven't done a pop opening in a while that was good I hope you guys like that okay so Isabella Moctezuma was born sometime in the year 1510 in the Aztec city of Tenochtitlan to Emperor Montezuma II and his principal wife Teotihuacan. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I swear to God, I'm trying hard. Now we don't know really anything about like what time of year she was born. However, some Mexican historians have speculated she might have been born in the summer, like July area, but there's really no way to tell. So let's actually discuss her name, both her uh, Spanish name and her birth name, uh, Tetchwich Potsin. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Also, um, that's probably the only time I'm going to be pronouncing uh, Tetchwich Potsin. Uh, so don't expect to hear it again because... I had to like write it phonetically so that I could remember how to pronounce it properly and I, I just prefer to call her Isabella. I don't mean to be like mean or like disrespectful about like her original indigenous name but Tetwich Potson is not something I can just like say over and over again. Anyway, speaking of her indigenous name, let's talk about the history of it. Now her name in Nahutal which was the language she, she spoke, essentially translates to Lord's Daughter, King's Daughter, which is pretty on the nose when she's one of the Emperor's daughters. It's like when uh, King Henry VIII named his illegitimate son after himself and then gave him the surname Fitzroy, which means son of the king. <laughs> now, on the opposite end of this, she has her Spanish name, which uh, she's really better known as, which is Isabel, or Isabella, uh, which is a very common Spanish name, and the name of Spain's, uh, well, was the name of Spain's monarch at the time. Uh, she was uh, kind of, I wouldn't say, adopted by the Spanish, kidnapped by the Spanish, more likely. Um, however, we'll talk more about the Spanish converting her into New Spain later. Uh, as for right now, let's give you all some historical context for the Aztecs, because I probably won't ever get to talk about the Aztecs again. There's not a lot of Aztec women that I can actually talk about other than Isabella that have like a lot of information about them. So let's talk about the Aztecs because they're kind of fucking cool. Now the Aztec story starts in about the 6th century, just about the time when our favorite murderous Merovingian queen, Fred, is alive. Now it's about this time that Isabella's people, the Mexica, settled in northern Mexico where they stayed until about the 1300s when they were told one by one of their gods of the sun to find a new place to settle. Now this god tells them that they will find the place they need to settle at when they come across an eagle perched on a cactus eating a snake, which is very particular. So the Mexica people wander for a bit into central Mexico when they come across exactly what their god told them they would find on an island in Lake Texcoco, and they decide to establish the city of Tenochtitlan right on that island in Lake Texcoco. Now, the Mexica people built on two islands in the area was extended using this thing called a, a Chinampa? I, I don't know how to pronounce that. Either way, that thing, uh, there are small artificial islands created above the waterline and basically made it possible for them to expand the city 
over like an area of like 13 square kilometers, which I think is like five square miles or something like that. Anyway, they were able to make it a lot bitter, bigger with the use of artificial islands, which is really cool. Uh, they also used uh, giant causeways, basically like giant hi highways that doubled as dikes connected to the island, to the mainland, and separated the fresh water from the salt water, and uh, basically protecting the artificial islands from any damage. Now, the great city of Tenochtitlan was laid out symmetrically with four sectors separated by the four causeways or canals surrounding the central area. Uh, this main area was where the temple of their uh, sun god was, and as well as temples for other gods, and also where the rulers' palaces were. Now, each of the four sectors had its own services, including a religious area that was and was occupied by craftspeople like weavers, sculptors, and potters, and all that. The center of the city was known as the Templo Mayor, and atop the single complex were two temples, one for uh, Telalok, the god of rain, and one for their god of the sun, which has a really long name that I have no idea how to pronounce. And I believe that their god of the sun is also their god of war, which is really cool. Now, the Temple Mayor was where the Aztecs practiced bloodletting and human sacrifice. Now, when Isabel was born, Tenochtitlan had a population of 200,000 people, which made it nearly three times bigger than Madrid in Spain and London in England, which is like crazy. We don't really think of, well, any indigenous civilizations in general as being super big, but Tenochtitlan was fucking huge. It was bigger than most European cities. I think the only uh, European city at that time that was, like, topping 200,000 people was, like, maybe Paris and Constantinople, which is Istanbul now. Like, this was a huge city, and, like, I, I find a lot of people don't give Tenochtitlan that credit, but it was gigantic. This city was incredibly modern and advanced with sewers and huge causeways, which, like I said, are like highways back then. But because of the Spanish conquest and the unfortunate rewriting of history because racism, uh, the Aztecs hardly get the amount of credit they deserve for having such, like, an, an impressive civilization. Like, it's crazy. Now, Tenochtitlan had been through nine kings by the time Isabel was born, with her dad being number nine out of out of nine. Um, also, it's important to mention that the Aztecs were uh, not like one people unified under one ruler. They were actually like uh, city-states, sort of like how the Greeks were at one point. And every major city had an independent ruler, but Isabel's father, as the king of the largest of the cities among the Aztecs, was definitely like the big fish in the Texcoco pond, you know? Uh, for the most part, the Aztecs were united in culture and language, but uh, that, of course, didn't stop them from getting fights all the time. They did a lot. The city-states were at war with each other constantly. Um, Isabel's father, Moctezuma, came to the throne in about 1503 and was chosen to succeed his uncle. Uh, he was about 36 years old when uh, he came to the throne. For many years, he ser had served as a general in the Aztec army, and it also served as a priest in the worship of the Aztec gods. And it was because of these things that the Council of Nobles chose him to succeed his uncle, because they really thought he was genuinely the best choice. Uh, for the most part, Moctezuma was a pretty okay emperor. He had a sound mind for politics and was actually really concerned with centralizing his empire. Um, however, that's not to say he didn't enact policies that weren't great. Um, he banned commoners from being able to hold office, and he was putting down rebellions a lot, and also doing some very massive territorial expansion, but we'll discuss that a little later as, like, a probable cause of his death. 
Now, as for Isabella's mother, we don't really know that much about her. It's important to note that Isabella's father would have had many wives and concubines, which means she had many siblings and stepmoms. But Isabella's mom was his principal wife, and for a good reason. She was a princess from a neighboring city-state. Um, I think she was Tex from um, Texcoco, I think. Hmm. I can't remember. I didn't write that down. Anyway, uh, we don't really know if Isabel had a relationship with her mother because we don't know how long her mother lived, if at all. Like, she, it's just like, yeah, we know that she's Isabel's mother, and that's pretty much all we know about her. But uh, it's safe to say Isabel had a lot of uh, Aztec royal blood in her veins on uh, both sides of her family. Now, before we move on and actually advance Isabel's story, let's talk a bit about what her life would have been like as a child in a royal Aztec household, as well as her education, what she looked like. Now, from the moment Isabel was born, she would have lived a life of pristine fucking luxury, where she would have been taken care of by wet nurses and then by female servants and her older sisters when she got to a certain age. She also would have been dripping in jewels at Laguanza, like to an extreme level, like she would have been like encrusted practically. Aztec women were known to wear very beautiful clothing in bright colors with lots of gold jewelry and precious stones. And one thing that probably would have been really big in her childhood was the limited interaction she actually would have had with her dad. Um, Aztec kings were considered like divine beings beings i said beans beings <laughs> so she couldn't just like go and see her dad whenever she wanted or like touch his person without permission if she and her siblings did see him at all it would have been like really formal uh where they might like present him with gifts that they had made him uh but in contrast in contrast to this it said that isabel was his favorite child so maybe he was more affectionate with her or at least like like all his children than like historical records are telling us because it seems like most Aztec emperors were like pretty distant with their children because you know they were gods they don't have time for their children it's ringing very Percy Jackson isn't it anyway <laughs> as for her education Isabel would have likely got a stellar education thanks to the schools Aztecs had uh but and not only were, was Aztec education great, they had free education for everyone. Now, the bulk of what Isabel probably would have learned was, uh, like, how to run a household, much like her European female counterpart. She would have been taught uh, cooking, sewing, weaving, and childcare. Um, in addition to that, girls were educated in religion, taught how to sing and dance, because singing and dancing were actually a big part of how to practice Aztec religion. However, because she was royalty, she would have also learned about Aztec law, medicine, and maybe even engineering, which is actually like a first in this podcast. Like, get it, girl, get that engineering degree. Now, one thing I want to point out is that it's been said that she couldn't read or write because she was never taught. But I'm curious if she, like, could read and write, but, like, only in her native language rather than Spanish. Like, I can't see Isabel, like, actually being illiterate. But then again, I like, I, I could be wrong. But also, like... You know, when we think of, like, medieval peasants as, like, not being able to read and write, but, like, the, the standard for being able to read and write, like, in medieval times was being able to read and write in Latin, not in, like, your native language, so, like, people were actually literate, but we don't count that because it's not Latin. I'm, I'm just, like, curious if she, like, could read and write in her native language, but, like, not in Spanish, but because she couldn't read or write Spanish, that they just didn't count it. Anyway... <sighs> the point is, she had a very well-rounded education on par with some of her contemporaries, like Anne Boleyn, um, for example. 
as for her appearance, we don't really know much about what she looked like other than, like, one description of her from, like, the post-Spanish conquest period as being much prettier than other Indian women, which is weird because, one, it's kind of a diss to all indigenous women, and, uh, two, she was probably a young teenager when <laughs> this was said about her, so, uh, ew, gross. Either way, we can assume she looked like what she probably think an indigenous Mexican person would look like. Dark skin, dark hair, dark eyes, probably something like that. I've also heard that some Aztec people had uh, tattoos on them, which is really cool. It kind of reminds me when we talked about Pocahontas and that she might have had tattoos because her people had tattoos. Although she must have had like some features in general that Europeans thought were nice because lots of people called her pretty. But, um, I suppose we can, you know, see her how we wish. That's the point of this podcast. We interpret things the way we want, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, now, before we get into the whole, you know, Spanish conquest thing, we have to talk briefly about Isabel's first marriage. Now, Isabel was about nine years old when she first got married. Yeah, you, uh, you unfortunately heard that right. I don't like talking about it. I don't know if Isabel is, like, the youngest bride we've ever had on this show. She's got to be. I can't think about any other nine-year-olds who have gotten married on the show that I can think of. But, yeah, she was about nine when she married her first uh, husband, who I'm going to call Annie, because uh, I think I think his name is uh, pronounced Atlil X Cousin. Atlil X Cousin. But I'm going to call him Addie, because I just can't say that again. Um... Addie was probably in his 20s at the very least. We don't really know that much about him. He's like a footnote in Isabella's story. And here's what I can tell you about Addie. Much like uh, Isabella's dad, Moctezuma, he was a very well-respected general who was very fierce and loyal. And that's probably why he was married to Isabel, because he had a good chance of succeeding as emperor. Also, um, a gross fact about this marriage is that Addie was not only a cousin of Isabel's, although uh, somewhat distant, I think they were like third cousins or something, but he was also his, her maternal uncle. Yeah, uh, she, he was the brother of her mom, which is really gross. Not that they were only cousins, but they were niece and uncle. It's fair. It's much, giving Habsburg in a way that I don't like. Anyway, uh, don't get too attached to Addie. Um, Addie and Isabel were only married for a year and a half until he died of an illness, making Isabel a widow at the ripe old age of ten and a half. Uh, but don't worry about that right now because, ding dong, the Spanish are here. Now, in 1519, the first reports of the small army headed by conquistador Hernan Cortez would have made its way to Isabel's father, which was uh, slightly nerve-wracking for him and his court. Now, the Spanish may have only had a tiny host of 250 men, but they also had guns and artillery, which may have been enough to take over a city like Tenochtitlan, which was what was making everyone shake in their little boots. So, Montezuma at first decided to go the peaceful route with the Spanish because he knew whether he wanted it or not, the Spanish were coming. So it was probably better to be nice to them than to have guns pulled on all of them. Now, Montezuma initially sent his diplomat to become friends with the Spanish and hopefully stop them from reaching the capital. But that backfired when some other city-states who didn't like Montezuma snitched and told the Spanish exactly where to find Tenochtitlan. So Montezuma decided to meet the Spanish host outside 
the city with some of his officials and some of his children, including Isabel and two of her sisters, to welcome Cortez to Tenochtitlan. Now, as a sign of good faith, he even floated the idea of marrying both Isabel and her two sisters to um, some of Cortez's men. I believe uh, Isabel's sisters uh, ended up going by the Spanish names of Leonor and Mariana. But this whole, like, marriage pact idea never really ended up going through. It was just an idea that Moctezuma floated around, but the Spanish didn't really seem overly interested in that. Um, either way, Moctezuma hosted the Spanish in his palace in order to keep them happy, but it didn't really matter because no matter how, how nice Moctezuma was to Cortez and the Spanish, Cortez was here to take over these people, not to work with them. Now, about a year into the Spanish stay in Tenochtitlan, Moctezuma was away from the capital, and the Spanish sort of went a little with the Aztec nobles because they started a fight which led to the Spanish killing like half the Aztec nobles while they were there uh during like this like special festival now I'm sure Isabel either heard about this incident or maybe she was even there I suppose at an important Aztec festival I can't imagine why she wouldn't be there the point is after this uh quasi-massacre the uh, Moctezuma came rushing back only to be arrested along with several members of his family including Isabel and put on house arrest. Uh, I believe his house arrest started on May 22nd, uh, 1520. But by July 1st, Moctezuma was dead. Now, the story goes that his people were so angry at him about the massacre that they pelted him to death with stones when he tried to talk to them. But honestly, I'm not really, like, inclined to believe that. I am, like, pretty positive that the Spanish just had him quietly killed when he wasn't proving as useful to them as they thought. Uh, not too long after her father's death, Isabel probably witnessed the Spaniards fleeing the city as the Aztec people chased them out as their, uh, food supply ran low. Now, many of the Spaniards died after falling into the lake because they couldn't swim or they were sacrificed after being captured. Now, after the Spanish were chased out, Isabel was immediately married to the new emperor chosen by what was, well, left of the nobility after the massacre. Now, the new emperor was this guy named Kuitulhak. I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce that. We're going to call him Kut. Yeah, Kut. <laughs> that's, that's a funny name. Kut. Uh, he was actually a younger brother of Moctezuma, so uh, once again, Isabel is marrying one of her uncles, and also an adult man. He was much older than uh, her first husband. At least her first husband was, like, in his 20s. Uh, Cooch was, like, tw like 44 or something like that, and she was, like, 11 and a half. Now, much like Isabel's first husband, uh, Coot was also a warrior and had been her father's uh, most important advisor, especially when the Spanish showed up. Uh, he was, like, uh, at the forefront of the don't let the Spanish in the fucking city position. Um... Which made his election as emperor like a piece of cake after he turned out to be right about the Spanish being awful. Now, I'm sure he probably would have actually been a pretty strong emperor fighting against the Spanish, but unfortunately this poor asshole died of smallpox after like two months of rule. And just like that, the Aztecs needed a new leader, so they chose to elect a nephew of Moctezuma, um, Kuhatamok. Kuhatamok, I think. We're gonna call him Mok. Now, if you guys are seeing a pattern here, you might have figured out that Isabel was very quickly married to Mock to give him more legitimacy. Uh, at the very least, we can say uh, this husband is her uncle, 
but it's her first cousin, which really isn't much better anyway. But, you know, it's a little, it's a little less weird than an uncle-niece marriage, right? Anyway, uh, Mok was a pretty good emperor. He had military experience. He was also quite young. He was about 23 or 25 to Isabel's uh, about 12 years of age, which is, like, still gross, but much better than, like, 40 and 10. Anyway, uh, Mok was looking to kick some Spanish ass and got the Aztecs back on track, and he really did try to keep them out of the city. Now, over four months, the Aztecs fought pretty fierce battles until the Spanish decided to siege the city, trapping Isabel, her family, and her husband inside the city. Now, the siege of Tenochtitlan is a very, like, big and dramatic thing that really scarred the Mexica people. I'm sure for 12-year-old Isabel, it must have been terrifying to have the very people who probably murdered your father outside the walls of your city trying to kill you. Now, long story short, the Spanish were able to get in and started to burn the city and kill the people. So, Mock, Isabel, and her siblings tried to make a break for it and gather troops and fight back another day, but it didn't quite work out that way. While they were running out, one of Isabel's sisters, Anna, fell off the causeway, leaving the city, and died. And just as the small party was about to make it to freedom, Cortez's men caught them trying to leave the city and had them brought to Cortez. Now, probably the last time Isabel would have seen her husband was when he begged Cortez to not harm her or her sisters and to treat them all very well. Uh, Mock would spend the next few years of his life arrested and tortured until he was finally killed in 1525 when they realized he wasn't going to be as useful as they thought. As for Isabel, she was one of the very last members of the Aztec royal family still living, which in this new world ruled by the Spanish was about to make her life very, very hard. Now, After the Spanish took over, Isabel would have been living a very different life than she was used to living. She was baptized and renamed Isabel, as well as taught Spanish, but not how to read or write. She was also made to wear Spanish clothes and act differently than she would have been used to. And after a couple of years of living under Cortez with some of her sisters, Cortez decided to arrange Isabel's fourth marriage to a good friend of his, Alonso de Grado. Now, Uh, When Isabel was about, uh, I think she'd be about 16 years old at this point. Now, this marriage would have been a pretty huge deal, as this was the coming together of the Aztecs and the Spanish through marriage. Not to mention, some sources claim that Isabel's father uh, considered Isabel his heir, which, while this wouldn't have been, like, unheard of, uh, Isabel actually descended from the only woman to rule the Aztecs. Uh, it was probably something the Spanish might have, like, made up to control the Aztec people. Like, oh, yeah, no, Montezuma's dead. It's okay. But Isabel was his heir. We have her. It's fine. You know? Now, unlike Isabel's previous husbands, uh, we actually have a good deal of info on Alonso Tocado and what he was like as a person. Now, Alonso was a Castilian-born man who was basically born to be a soldier. He was about uh, 20 years older than Isabel. Uh, He was described as of short and sturdy complexion, broad, clear-minded, and of little doctrine, clever, canny, fearless, and a bit haughty, a noisy man, frivolous, but brave and sharp, a man of many skills and talents, but with a relentless soul. So, safe to say, Alonso had a lot of personality, if people are describing him like that, which I actually think would have matched well with Isabel. I mean, she was a woman who was known to be quite proud of her lineage and such, so my hope is that they got on well. Now, we can't know precisely how Isabel felt about her change in lifestyle, especially after her Christianization, because... You know, she was a child when this stuff happened to her. From what records tell us, Isabel was a very generous, uh, 
donator is that the word she was very charitable uh she donated to churches so much to the point where she had to be like asked to like stop donating to churches so it seemed that she like took christianity to heart but that doesn't make it like any less traumatic for her to like have her dad killed her husband killed separated from her siblings have her name changed like just because she was you know really down with christianity doesn't make that any less bad now, because of her new marriage, Isabel was given a big fat dowry, not to mention a whole bunch of lands for her marriage, and she was pretty sitting pretty as the manager of her own household. Not to mention her husband basically became the guy in charge of making sure native Mexica people were not being treated badly and had a nice chunk of change along with that title. Uh, unfortunately, Alonso died in action after a year of marriage, and once again, Isabel was a widow four times fucking running at the age of 17 years old. I mean, wow. I thought my problems were bad. I mean, this bitch is going through husbands faster than Henry VIII went through wives, and she didn't even have to kill a single one herself. Like, shit. Anyway, um, because Isabel was young, uh, and, like, under 18, her nan Cortez had her return to his household, where he lined up some new men for a hand in marriage. Now, I'm gonna put, like, a trigger warning before I tell you this next part, because, like, I'm not gonna go into d detail, because I f feel like that'd be wrong, but here's a trigger warning for sexual assault, so, like, maybe, like, skip forward a couple of minutes if you don't want to hear about this, but it's- I'm gonna talk about it. Now, while Isabel was staying with Cortez, things got a little weird. As we have already discussed, Isabel was very pretty, according to the people who met her, and Cortez was seen, said to be quite the charmer and kind of a womanizer. Uh, next thing you know, unmarried 17-year-old Isabel is pregnant. Now, we could never know whether or not this relationship was consensual, not even if she did agree to it. Cortez was an adult man in a position of power over her and probably coerced her into a relationship or at the very least probably raped her. This And this wasn't the first time he had actually done something like this. Not even the first time with an indigenous woman. When Cortez first came to Mexico, he made the acquaintance of a Mexica translator woman, uh, Malinche. And they had shacked up, probably not willingly, and Cortez has had an illegitimate son named Martin Cortez hiding somewhere. So this was very on brand for him. Um, Cortez knew this would cause like a very big scandal, so he had her very quickly married to her fifth husband, Pedro uh, Galgo, who was a close friend of Cortez, giving big Henry VIII vibes. Uh, Pedro was also Castilian and was described as a high-spirited, agreeable, and easygoing person, which was pretty good because his new wife was about to give birth to his best friend's baby. Um, in about 1528, she gave birth to her first child, a daughter named Leonor Cortez Montezuma, and Isabel was absolutely horrified when she gave birth to Leonor. Now, having a child out of wedlock was like a goddamn nightmare to her. She wanted that baby taken away from her as fast as possible. She didn't want to look at Leonor. She didn't want anything to do with it. Now, Isabel has been very harshly judged as I've uh, 
been doing research on her. She's been judged very harshly for her reaction to the birth of her daughter, Leonor. But honestly, can you fucking blame her? Imagine being 18 years old, being taken advantage of by a much older person who's probably the reason your dad is dead, giving birth to an illegitimate child when the culture you grow up in frowns on that. I mean, it must have been fucking horrifying to have that happen to her. Now, after Leonor was born, she spent a lot of time between her father's home and some of Cortez's friends. Uh, Don't worry, we'll get back to Leonor soon. We'll talk about her at the end of the episode. Now, not too long after the birth of her daughter, she got pregnant with her new husband, Pedro. And finally, after five marriages running, she had a child with her husband. Now, Isabel gave birth to a baby boy that she named Juan, and there were big celebrations for this kid to welcome him into the world. Also, honestly, I think this kid might have been her favorite child based on how the will goes down, but that's like slight spoilers. We'll talk about that. Now, for the most part, I think Pedro and Isabel had a good marriage. I mean, as well as a marriage between a colonizer and a person he colonized can be. Pedro ended up dying from some sickness after four years of marriage, but it put Isabel in a really tough situation when he died. Over the last few years, she had been in court battles with her surviving siblings over their father's estate, and she and Pedro had spent a lot of money trying to fight her brothers and sisters. But now, she was in debt because of that, so Isabel needed someone rich and who could defend her interests as if she were a white guy. And she found the perfect white guy to help her out in that situation. Are you guys ready for husband number six, Juan de Cano? Woo! Now, what I find so fascinating about her last marriage, thank God, is that it seems Isabel actually chose Juan not, not, like, for love, but, like, more as a business arrangement, and I think this is, like, probably the first time she had, like, agency in her entire life. Now, Juan was from lower Spanish nobility, but still well-respected by absolutely everyone except Cortez, who hated Juan de Cano, which is kind of funny. Like, I can't imagine the look on Cortez's face when he found out that Isabella married Juan de Cano. Like, it was probably just like, oh, no! <laughs> like, you know, big mic drop on Isabella's part. Like, very girl boss of her. Anyway, uh, Juan in marrying Isabel gained huge status in marrying an Aztec princess, and Isabel got someone who had money and was willing to defend her interests. Now, I don't think Isabel and Juan were necessarily in love at all. Like, it was their marriage was a thousand percent a business arrangement on both ends. But I think they worked really well together and were at least friends because not only did this marriage last the longest because the guy didn't die in, like, two years, but also these, these two had, like, five kids together in, like, seven years. Um, first they had, uh, Pedro Gonzalo, uh, Juan, which is funny because she already, yeah. Anyway, Isabella and then Catalina. Now, the only thing that pisses me off is that Isabel already had a son named Juan with a husband number five. Like, fuck, that must have been confusing. She had two sons named Juan and a husband named Juan. Like, how do you how do you differentiate between those three people? Like, you could just shout Juan in Isabella's house and, like, three people would pop their head up. Maybe they call one of the Juans by their middle name. Who knows? Anyway, I won't bore you guys with that. <laughs> Um, I also won't bore you guys with the nearly two decades of legal trouble that these two went through trying to get what Isabel thought was her inheritance from her siblings. Uh, Isabel and her husband filed uh, three lawsuits and won two, and by the time Isabel uh, gets sick and dies in 1551, she was probably one of the richest women in Mexico. 
Now, even though Isabella didn't personally write her will, it was still dictated by her and is probably one of the only actual insights we have into her personality. Now, from what I've read, it gives me the impression that she was a really strong person who was generous and thoughtful and had honestly lived a very eventful life. Now, before he we talk about her kids, I want to talk about Isabel's position in slavery because Isabel did own slaves. Now, her slaves were not enslaved African people. They were her own people. And in her culture, especially as a member of nobility and most especially as a person of royalty, enslaving people was widespread. It was incredibly common. And when she was married to her fourth husband, she was actually upset at the limitations Cortez was trying to put on the Aztec nobility slaveholding, which kind of seems weird because... You know, Spanish also started slaveholding, and Cortez, even though he was a bad person, tried to put limits on slaveholding. Anyway, however, it seems by the end of her life, she seems to have, like, changed her opinion on slavery because she ended up freeing all her slaves, which was not something that was normally done at all. Like, generally, slaves would have been passed down to her children, but she didn't do that. She freed all her slaves. I felt it was important to bring this up because even though, like, it makes me uncomfortable, uh, just because I enjoyed learning about Isabel and I like her as a person doesn't mean I can ignore the fact that she was a slaveholder. Even if she didn't have African slaves, she still enslaved uh, other Mexica people, which really sucks. So I thought I'd tell you guys about that because it's actually a fairly interesting aspect of her life. Now, before we get into legacy, let's talk a bit about her seven kids. Now, Isabel's oldest daughter with Cortez, Leonor, was not mentioned in her will, but on Isabel's deathbed, she made sure that Leonor got 20% of her, her inheritance as a dowry for her upcoming wedding. And in good news, mother and daughter got much closer when Leonor got older. Now, Isabel's oldest son, the first one, with husband number five, got the bulk of her estate, which pissed off stepdad Juan de Cano and her three younger sons. Uh, and they basically fought a giant court battle over that, uh, where they all ended up having to split things more evenly. Uh, older Juan did not get everything. Uh, Isabel's two younger daughters, Isabel Jr. and Catalina, both became nuns and were given small inheritances. All of Isabel's kids, except her younger daughters, got married and had children, and she actually has a multitude of descendants today. Uh, the Miravale line of Spanish nobility began with Isabel's son, the older Juan. Um, her sons, Pedro and Gonzalo Cano, became prominent citizens of Mexico City. Her son, uh, Juan Cano Moctezuma, married into a prominent family in Carcres, Spain, where uh, the Placido de... Toledo Montezuma still exists, which is like a really nice like palace. It's really pretty. And her daughter Leonor married the owner of huge silver mines and had three children and was very close with her half-siblings from uh, her mother and father and ended up dying in her 60s in Mexico, which is fuck, that's a long time she lived. Um, Isabel's last husband, Juan de Cano, died in Seville in 1572 and had the amazing feat of outliving her, which, you know, none of Isabel's other husbands could say that they could do that. He also never remarried, which is interesting. Maybe he did really like her a lot. Anyway, Isabel, contrary to many indigenous women of this time who were forcibly assimilated into European culture, Isabel is a true survival story of pretty fucking epic proportions compared to other indigenous women who were forcibly assimilated. She managed to survive war, conquest, too many weddings to count, and the fall of her civilization to become the wealthiest woman in Mexico and founded many lines of nobility that still exist today. Isabel lived an absolutely full life for someone who died in their late 40s. Actually, she died fairly young. She shouldn't be remembered as 
sorry, she should be remembered as an example of incredible resilience and adaption because even when the Spanish murdered her father, took over her country, she still managed to survive anyway. I mean, fuck, I want an HBO show about this shit. Like, hell, I'd write it <laughs> if someone would let me. Like, wouldn't her life just make the most interesting show? Like, people need to start talking about Isabella Montezuma. She's so fucking cool. Someone needs to make it. I might. Anyway, thank you guys so much for joining me. I really had so much fun on this episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed learning about Isabella. I will see you guys in two weeks with a new episode. Goodbye. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at LongMaceyRain2. The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience. So I would absolutely appreciate it if you guys could do that. All right. uh, Bye.